And so uh, we can be seated. We are beginning a brand new series for the month of April. This is Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter to all of you. And we are beginning our series entitled Building Overcomers. Uh, you know, I, I, I love this particular title because I like to think of myself as an overcomer. And you need to think of yourself as an overcomer uh, who, is, who is in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible declares that we are more than overcomers. And so in this month, our series will focus on how we actually overcome uh, as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we'll be looking at different facets of that uh, for the next uh, few weeks. But today I want to talk specifically, <clears throat> I want to subtitle this message today, Overcomers of Sin. Overcomers of Sin. As I begin this message, one of the things I think is clear to understand and to know and that is that our world is broken. You don't have to go very far uh, to understand that the world is broken. You can just look at our political system, for an example. And you can see, even in this nation, how very broken things are. But things are broken because of sin. All of us, in some shape or form, has been affected by sin. As a result of sin, we have pain in the world. We have, obviously, death. We have wars. Crimes, broken relationships, perpetual discord, loneliness, depression, all of these things is as a result of sin. And the increase of that sin at times leave many of us feeling a sense of hopelessness and despair. Every now and then when you see that something traumatic happens to someone, you could see sometimes the pain on their faces as they wonder, how in the world am I going to get through this? When we see some senseless crime or somebody that's harmed or in, in some frivolous way, and, and sometimes the bitterness and anger tends to kind of set in, and we begin to wonder, is there any hope? Because of sin, the whole world has been plunged into a state of darkness. Now it will be very, very sad if this story ended there, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't have to stay there because a loving God has provided a way out for us. He has found and he has given us the remedy for our sin and that remedy for our sin is found in Jesus Christ. You know, we talk a lot about uh, resurrection, uh, obviously for a reason. This is Easter. We're talking about it. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But sometimes I think the uh, commercialization and sometimes our, our careless attitude can just cause us to really understand the full measure of what it means in Christ's resurrection, what it did for us. It was a profound statement that changed all of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, we must understand that Jesus paved a way for man who is broken. Man is broken today as a result of, of our sins. We have been shut off from the life of God. There's this big gap between uh, man and God. And, and Jesus is the one that bridged that gap. And because Jesus died and he rose again from the dead, then that, that gives us hope. That, that gives us the, the, the bridge back to God that we all so desperately need. And so when I think about 
resurrection. Well, when I think about Easter, Easter is about hope. It's, a, it's about victory. It's about Jesus who is light and darkness, who is peace and chaos, who is joy over sorrow. He's love over hate. And yes, he is life over death. And all who embrace Jesus, all who love him, all who serve him, will, in fact, has overcome sin and ultimately the grave. And so this series is about overcoming. And the only way that we overcome is in Jesus. I want to make that point clear. We'll kind of build that up a little bit as we go here. But the only way that man can overcome his sin, the only way man can truly overcome today is in that man, Jesus Christ. He is the answer. And it's difficult and heartbreaking as the results of sin are, we can defeat it and have defeated it through Jesus. Now, as we build this particular message, I want to kind of talk a little bit about man's condition. And what I want to do is I want to kind of lay the foundation because there are a lot of people out there for one reason or the other. Uh, and sometimes as a Christian, when you're trying to communicate the gospel, uh, you talk to some folks and there's this kind of feeling that they don't really need to change. Every now and then you'll meet somebody, you'll talk to them, and, and because in actuality, they're comparing themselves with other people. The problem is the other people are broken, and you're Brooklyn, and it's a bad place to compare yourself. But people compare themselves with other people, and they make a determination how right they are or how righteous they are, fully not understanding that God's righteousness is, and his standard is perfection, and none of us are there. But one of the things that in order for a man or woman or anyone to come to Christ, they first have to realize and recognize their condition. They have to be able to see that they are a sinner in need of a savior. They have to be able to see that in order for them to get right with God and to be right with God, then they must look to Jesus. Or at, at the beginning, they must have this conviction that something is wrong. And, and I'm telling you right now, church, you can look around and you can see very clearly that something is wrong. And I'm very excited because Easter is one of the times when we can really point people to the one that can make it all right. And that is Jesus. And so let's take a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about man's condition. I'm going to build this thing up and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it back in First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Um, so Romans 3, 9 says this. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that means everybody, that they are all under sin. I want you to get that into your spirit. All under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. Do you get that? There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now, I want you to hear that because that particular passage, I mean, I, I want you to really think about it. Uh, so, so let's look at man's condition. So the Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. So I want you to understand that. That's important that nobody is righteous. Nobody in and of themselves, apart from Christ, it doesn't matter. No one is righteous. No, not one. Even the best of people. And I know there are some people that tend to think that they are right and that they're okay. But the Bible says God has indicted. He says all of us, all of us are in sin. 
He said, there's none who seeks after God. Now, understand what it means when it says that, that there's none who seeks after God. There's none who really seek after God as we should. You know, even as a Christian, sometimes, let's be honest, it's hard to seek after God the way that we should. Sometimes we find it hard just to take time to pray or you got to remind yourself to pray. You have to remind yourself to even come to church and to seek after God. But the Bible says that that what was in the beginning meant to be something that was natural because we really can't breathe or live without him, period. But what was was meant to be something that was natural as breathing, seeking God, it's a chore now. Because in all of this is as a result of our brokenness away from God. He says, there's none who does good, no, not one. None does good. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Think about that. For all have sinned and fallen short. In other words, the way that God created us, his original intent, what we were supposed to be, every man or woman or boy or girl, we've all fallen short of God's standing. We've all missed the mark. There's nobody that can say, man, I got it together. All of us are compared to where God's standard is. All of us have fallen short. Nobody has there. And the problem with sin is it has blinded our ability to be able to even see our wretchedness. So sin has blinded our ability to be able to even realize that we have a need. It's blinded us so that we can't see because our, our, our brokenness and our wretchedness, we can't even see that we need to be repaired. Romans 1.18 says this. This is a condition of man. says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so we must understand that a holy God must punish sin. Because if God is just, and if God is holy, he is going to punish sin. Every person, you ever get mad at sometimes when, you know, people do you wrong and they just kind of think, uh, you know, they got away with it. You know, uh, you know, I used to, you know, when I was in law enforcement, I remember some of the folks I used to deal with, they used to always, we used to get them on film sometimes. We'd catch them and they'd be celebrating and laughing and happy that they think they got away with it. But I want you to understand something. That, that every person is accountable to God and nobody gets away with anything. But here's the thing that, that we got to understand here. The Bible says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. In other words, watch this church, the wrath of God, the judgment of God is coming upon the earth. God is going to judge sin. He is going to punish sin. So everyone who is outside of Christ's provision those who are not Christian, those who are not in Christ, all they have to look forward to is the wrath of God. The wrath of God is coming to judge the earth. And that's why we got to be urgent in our preaching of the gospel. That's why we have to use every opportunity, the Bible says, to make sure to let people know because there's a hell and there is a coming judgment. And if people don't see that, if they don't know that, and I believe the part of the deception of the enemy is to trick people into thinking that there is no hell. To trick people into thinking that this sin, this, this blindness of sin caused people to think, you know what? Uh, there is no hell, and uh, I, when I die, it's just the end of it. That's the darkness. That's the blindness. That's what sin does. It blinds us to the reality because we can't see spiritually. But but church, part of our job is we got to warn people everywhere 
that the wrath of God is coming. And the only way to escape this wrath is to turn to Jesus. God doesn't want anybody to spend eternity in hell. That is not God's desire. That is God, not God's will. But man has to make a decision. And God has given that to them. Now let's look at a little bit about Jesus and his authority over sin. And I'll talk a little bit more here about the resurrection. So I wanted to cover there the condition of man. That's a big picture. You can see that man is in a place where he's a sin. He's a sinner. He needs to be saved. Man is in a, in a place, as Romans 3.23 says, he fall, he's sinned. He's fallen short of the glory of God. Man is in a place right now where the, where the judgment and the wrath of God is coming to judge him. And so what is the remedy? How does man get out of this place? Well, let's look at 1 John chapter 3.5. Here's a verse that talks a little bit about Jesus. And the Bible says that you know that he, talking about Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Now, that's important. So think about it. Jesus was manifested. Jesus came into the earth for one reason. And one reason alone, he came into the earth to take away our sins. That's God's love. God didn't want to leave us there. God knew we were broken. He knew that there's no way to get back to him. So God sent his son to bridge that gap. Jesus then was manifested. He was revealed to take away our sins. So we can see that God's desire, God's will, God's love is to say, hey, I made a way for you. Follow him. I've made a way. Follow Jesus. And the Bible says that in Jesus, there is no sin. That's important because Jesus cannot atone for our sin if he himself is a sinner. And that's what we talk about. We, we don't have time to turn there, but that's what the virgin birth was about. It's the incarnation that, that Jesus was God's seed. There is no sin in Jesus. Not one. Every other man that walked the planet is a sinner. The only one that never did is Jesus Christ. Therefore, he is perfect and he's the only one that is qualified then to atone for our sin. So Jesus came. He's the only one. There's nobody else. There's not Muhammad. There's not Buddha. I know it may be offensive to some folks, but there's nobody else that can redeem us. There's nobody else that wasn't a sinner. There's nobody else that is qualified to take away our sins. But Jesus, that's what the Bible says. Jesus was conceived. He was brought into the earth. He was sent by God to come after us. How many know, church, that is love? Jesus has authority also to forgive sin. In fact, there was a place here in the Bible where it says in uh, Mark, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, it, 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 here's a place where uh, Jesus forgave sin. And folks had a problem with that because no man, no man should have the capacity or have the ability to forgive sin. They thought only God did that, but they didn't realize that Jesus was more than a man. Jesus was and is, in fact, the God man. He is God in flesh, but they failed to realize that. So let me just kind of read this passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, and down to verse number 6 for those who want to follow. So he got into the boat. He crossed over, came to his own city, and then, behold, they brought to him a paralegic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And at once, some of the scribes within themselves, the scribes, the religious leaders who should have known who Jesus was, says, this man blasphemy. 
But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk? Jesus, if I can tell you to rise and walk, and that's all I can tell you, that your sins are forgiven because they are both supernatural miracles that has not been seen before. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralegic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. No other man can forgive sin. Jesus could. He was qualified to forgive our sin. And I'm building a case here because Jesus is qualified to take away our, our sin. He's qualified to forgive our sins. Jesus qualified him alone to deal with our sin. And Jesus is resurrection. In John chapter 11, verse 17 through 25, uh, the Bible talks about here in John chapter 11 that this relationship that Jesus had with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They were brothers and sisters, and, and um, Jesus deeply loved them, and Lazarus fell ill, and he died. So word got to Jesus that Lazarus had died, and Jesus waited on purpose about three days. In other words, Jesus waited till Lazarus was dead and that there was no question that he was dead. That's when Jesus started his journey there to Bethany. So when Jesus came, this is verse number 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Look at this church. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many other Jews joined the women in Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. And Mary was sitting in the house, but Martha said to Jesus, Lord, look at this church. I want you to key on this verse here. Verse 21 in John chapter 11. She says, Lord, if you had been here, basically saying, Lord, it's too late now. But how do you know that with Jesus, it's never too late? Isn't that good? It's never too late with Jesus. Because what she was really saying, Lord, you're too late. You should have got here a couple days ago before he died. But Lord, if I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, if you was just here, my brother would be living. I mean, but now it's too late. She failed to realize who Jesus was. Listen to this church. Verse 22. But even now, but then she tried to cover herself a little bit. But she said, but, but, but. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, all of them kind of knew about the resurrection because Martha says something that is very, very uh, straightforward and that is within their, uh, their theology. She says, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I understand that. Everybody knows, yeah, that he's going to rise again according to the scriptures. We understand that. And Jesus said to her, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, this is a very powerful statement that Jesus made. Jesus said to Martha, he says, listen, I am resurrection. Martha was, see, I want you to understand something. See, they were thinking that, first of all, Jesus was saying that when he says on resurrection and life, he's saying he's claiming to be the source of both. He's the source of resurrection. In other words, there's no resurrection without Jesus. And he's saying, and then there is no eternal life without Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, I am it. In the singular. He said, I am resurrection. I'm the one that calls people to get up because they're dead. They need to be raised. They're dead. He said, I am that. And he says, I am life. I'm the only one. This is why people got upset with Jesus then. 
And this is why people are upset with Jesus today. So he is life. Therefore, death has no ultimate power or authority over him. Death has no power, no authority over Jesus. You see, see, believer in Jesus Christ will experience the resurrection because having the life Jesus gives, it's impossible for death to defeat them. You see, I want you to understand something. Martha believed that the resurrection was an event. That's the way she looked at it. But Jesus showed her and us, and I believe he's telling us, that the resurrection is a person. And that person is him, Jesus. See, Martha's knowledge of eternal life was in the in a sort of an abstract idea. But Jesus proved that the knowledge of eternal life is in a personal relationship. And so essentially what Jesus was saying, when I'm here, then resurrection is already here. We don't have to wait for a particular time. I'm here now. I am resurrection. I embody resurrection. There will be no resurrection without me. And so wherever I go, I have the power to raise the dead. I am resurrection. This is what Jesus was trying to explain to her. He said, this was, she was like, well, I, I know way back young. She said, wait a minute, but, but, but you failed the process, darling. You failed the process, Mary and Martha, that, that I'm here now. And because I'm here now, I'm resurrection. He will rise now. See, Jesus was talking about now. They were talking about the future. So he is resurrection. He is life. And so when we think about resurrection, we think about Jesus. And, and there is no one else that is associated with resurrection other than Jesus and his followers. Nobody else. Jesus says, no man can take my life. He says, I lay it down on my own volition. Romans chapter 8. So let's talk about how the resurrection clears our sin. Romans chapter 4, I believe. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 4, verse 23 and 25. Now look at this. So this verse is a reference to Abraham, who God had imputed righteousness upon him because Abraham believed God. And so the whole idea behind this particular passage is to show that when we believe Jesus, when we receive Jesus Christ, then righteousness will be imputed to us. Now, that word imputation basically means it's given to us for free. We're declared righteous because of what Jesus did. You see, when, have you ever said to anybody, even said to yourself, you need to, if you don't believe, believe this, you need to stand in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody would think, man, that's kind of arrogant for you to say that. But, you know, when God sees you, when he's imputing righteousness to you, it's not that you earned it. It's that Jesus earned it for you. And because you believe in Jesus, it gets imputed to you. So God looks at you through Jesus and say, ah, you, you, you're righteous. You have met the standard, even though, you know, practically speaking, you never haven't met. You haven't met the standard. But it's because you believe in Jesus. Romans 4, 23, 25 says it. Now, it was not written for his sake, talking about Abraham alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who what? Who believe in him, and that's the key, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, and he was raised because of our justification. That's wonderful. So watch this, church. And since the achievement of the cross was so complete, and the work of our justification was so decisive, God raised Jesus from the dead to validate our forgiveness and to vindicate his son's righteousness. Because more than anything else, the resurrection silenced the critics. 
It lets everybody know. It's, it's when, when Jesus got up out of that grave, it was God shouting to the world. Everything that Jesus said about himself, you can take it to the bank. You can believe it. And the resurrection proves it. It validates it. And Ephesians chapter 2 takes it further because it talks about our condition and how that we were raised up. Those of us who believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted him as your savior today, then you have been raised. You have been made alive. You were dead. It says here in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 down to verse 6. It says in you, he made alive. Put your name there. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. So this is to say that everybody who hasn't received Jesus to date, who have not embraced him as savior, they are dead men walking. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They're dead. They think they're living because they got breath. But how many know breath and air is no guarantee, really? That's, that doesn't mean that you're really living. You're living physically, but the most important life is spiritual life. And there, if a person is not in Christ, they're spiritually dead. The Bible says that he were made alive in trespasses and sin in which you were once a walk. I'm sorry. And you, he made alive Jesus who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Now, this is what you were before you got saved. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. This is where the, <clears throat> the condition of a lot of folks are today. <clears throat> Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. In other words, remember I told you earlier that the wrath of God is coming upon those who don't know Jesus. This is our urgency. This is why we got to preach the gospel. This is why we got to get in the streets. This is why we serve. This is why we share. This is why we communicate. Don't let the devil try to pull this out of the gospel message. Don't let I was listen to a man the other day. If I said his name, many of you know him, but he was a, he's a black preacher. Uh, he was a very charismatic preacher uh, who led a very, very large Pentecostal movement back in the 90s. And he was very popular. He was like the, uh, and, and all of a sudden he went, um, he went south. He just didn't believe. He just started preaching that there was no hell and that everybody was saved. And you know that's a message that everybody wanted to hear. But the only problem with that message is it's not true. And the only problem with that message is it's not biblical. Everybody is not saved. Jesus died. And in order to be saved, you have to come to Jesus. You have to accept his sacrifice. And so part of what the enemy want to do, the enemy want to take hell out of the equation. You want to take the wrath of God out of the equation, because then why do men need to come and get saved? If there's no hell, there's no wrath. Then what, what's the what's the why do I need to do it? So the enemy tricks people and, 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 and he wants us to think that it doesn't exist. He says, so we used to conduct ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind and by nature, the children of wrath, just like others. But God, I love this verse, who is rich in mercy. Why did he do it? Because of his great love. That's the key. People want to say, well, how can a just God send somebody to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. He doesn't send anybody there. God, in fact, there's more evidence in the Bible that God that God did everything he could. He's done more to try to keep us from hell than to send us there. Primarily, we know it's manifested in his son. God doesn't want that. He went through great pains. In fact, he came down in the person of Christ, came off of his throne so then that we can experience salvation. It's not God's desire. The Bible says, but God, who was 
because of his great love. He loved us. That's what motivated him. I don't know why he loved me. I don't know why he loved you. If we're honest with each other, we don't deserve love. We don't deserve any goodness from God. But God, but God loves us anyway because of his love, even while we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. That's quickened and made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. And, <clears throat> and he raised us up together. And made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so get the picture. So Paul here is using language that is comparable to the resurrection. He was saying that just as Christ died and rose again to defeat death in the grave. Watch this. He's saying now because we are in Jesus, we, we, every, every person that comes to Christ dies. And watch this. And at that instant, they are raised to new life. That's what happens to everyone who comes to Christ. Colossians 2, 11, verse number, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2 down from verse 11 to 15 echoes the point, takes it home a little bit, drives, point, drives the uh, point home a little further. It says, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, talking about Jesus, by putting off the body of the sins of flesh, the circumcision of Christ, buried with him, this is what happened to us, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Watch this. He raised Jesus from the dead. Now, what did he do with us? And you now, Christian, being dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive, watch this, together with him. So we've been made alive. This is how we overcome sin, church. We've been made alive with Christ. Now, it was nothing that we did. Remember we said before, righteousness had been imputed to us because we believe in Jesus. So it's nothing that we can do, we done. Man, we cannot brag. We can't do nothing but give Jesus praise. We can only do but worship him. That's all we can do. It says now that he has made us alive with, together with him. Watch this. And, and this is verse 13 of uh, Colossians chapter 2. He says, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, I don't know about you. That's a, that's a pretty good bargain because I've, I've committed a lot of sin in my life in my 52 years of living. And the Bible says that as, when I came to Christ, God forgave all of my trespasses. It's hard for some people to grasp that. You know, I really believe that for some Christians, it's hard for some Christians to grasp that. There's some believers that have a hard time embracing the fact that God can forgive them for certain things. But when the Bible says that he has forever perfected those who are in Christ, when the Bible says he has forgiven us of all of our trespasses, that means past, present, and future. God forgives us. He secures us. He loves us. He forgave us of all of our trespasses. It doesn't matter what you did. He forgave us of all of our trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us. The handwriting of the requirements is a reference then to the law of God. So the law was something that is holy. It is something that is pure. God has a holy law and nobody could fulfill the law. Jesus not only died and rose, but in dying and rising again from the dead, he fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. That's why God can look at us and say, we're righteous because you fulfilled the law. And you would say, well, pastor, no, I didn't. You're right. But because you believe Jesus, now it's been your righteousness has been imputed to you. And now God's holy requirement, the law of God that has to because there's nothing wrong with the law of God. The law of God now has been fulfilled because Christ fulfilled it in his sacrifice because he was perfect. He was righteous. He did it. The Bible says here in the same particular passage in Colossians chapter two, 
says, and he has taken it away, taken the law away, having nailed it to the cross and having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. See, when Jesus, aren't, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come down off that cross when they wanted him to come down? I mean, I, praise God. I mean, and he didn't. They said, well, if you're the son of God, if you say if you are who you say you are, come down off of that cross. But we're glad to know today that Jesus didn't come down. He stayed up on that cross. And in doing that, when he died and he rose again, he made a public display because everybody remember him being on the cross. And the people that knew about him rising again or getting up from the grave, then that was Jesus showing his victory over all of it. His victory, the veil was torn in two. Our sins at that moment had been forgiven. That, that, that Jesus triumphed over all that the enemy was trying to do. So he made a public spectacle of them because he got up out of the grave. The grave could not hold him. And I thank the Lord Jesus that he got up, that he stayed, first of all, and he suffered those, those nails and that punishment and the weight of all the sin of the world on his own shoulders. I'm so grateful that he did it all for me. And this brings us, in, in closing, I'm ready to close, and this brings us down back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Now, it says here, so now we've kind of set up what man's condition was. We kind of set up the fact that Christ is qualified. We kind of set up how the fact that he's forgiven us of all our trespasses and sin. But then there were some who were in uh, 1 Corinthians that had a problem with the resurrection. Some were saying that there's no resurrection. So Paul was given a very, very strong rebuke to the Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul had to let them know that if y'all are saying that there's no resurrection, you don't understand that this is a direct assault on your faith. Listen to what he says here. He says, now, if there's, he said, if, if Christ is preached that there's no resurrection, that, that he has not been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. Then our preaching is empty. Our faith is empty. Look at this. He's saying, look, if Christ didn't get up from that grave, he said, all of this is for nothing. He said, we have found false witnesses of God. It is as if Paul is putting all the eggs, no pun intended, in that one basket in the resurrection. He says, yes, we are all found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised Christ up in whom he did not raise. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. We know that not to be the case. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Watch this. And if Christ is not risen, this is the whole point of this message then your faith is not only futile, but you're still in your sins. Remember, this message was about overcoming sin. So the, right, the reason why we overcome sin is because Jesus rose again from the dead. And Paul's argument here is, if that didn't happen, if he didn't rise again from the dead, then you're still in your sins. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how would we, there would be no other way of knowing that his death was any different than any other man. Think about it. There have been a lot of men, the people, there have been others who did a couple of miracles here and there who walked the face of the earth and he died. But if Jesus didn't rise, we would have no way of knowing. We would have came, made some claims, he would have died. Secondly, y'all remember Jesus promised. He said that he was going to die and he was going to rise again in three days. So if that didn't happen, then at the very least, he would be an imposter, imposter or he would be a liar. But when he rose... It was God's way of testifying that Christ has satisfied the requirement to fix our sin problem. And so I love to say this. So the resurrection was meant to silence his critics 
and to comfort and affirm to his followers, that's you and me, hopefully, that he is their one and only savior. That's what the resurrection does. It validates it because there's no other way for God to do it. Because all the claims, everything that Jesus said about himself when he rose up from the dead, now it's like God's way of saying, now that he got up out of that grave, you can follow him now. You can believe him. Well, how do I know Jesus any different than Muhammad? How do I know is Jesus any bush different than Herod Christian or Buddha? How do I know? Can you please explain to me? Here's what you tell people. He got up. That's what you tell them. Well, what, what's the difference? He got up. See, the others, they're still in the grave, but he got up. The resurrection changed everything. And it was God's way of saying, now everything that Jesus said, just in case y'all didn't believe him, just in case there's some question about what he said, just in case you think that he can't cover your sin, I'm going to raise him up from the dead to show you in the whole world that, that, that Jesus is the Savior and he was sent by me to a world that is full of darkness to bring hope and life. This is the game changer. Don't let nobody tell you anything different. And Paul even says it. He says, if Jesus didn't even get up from that grave, you would still be in your sins. But thank God Almighty, he got up from that grave. And we are no longer in our sins. But you got to believe him. You got to receive him. See, we all have been affected with sin. But Jesus proved that he and he alone has the power to atone for our sins. And the resurrection, we talk about this Easter Sunday all we're really saying to the world and to everybody else that Jesus shines, that Jesus is different, that Jesus is isolated, that he is greater, he is better, he is higher, and he deserves all of our worship. He deserves all of our praise because he got up out of the grave. You take that away from Christianity and Christianity is just another religion. It's nothing else. It doesn't, it, it, it's no different than any other man who claimed to do anything, but the resurrection changed the game. And so Paul was saying to the Corinthians that the resurrection is the game changer. And if y'all are going to say there's no resurrection, then your faith is shot. Forget about it. So here's the point, church. We can walk out of this room and we can have great confidence. You and I, we can walk out of here, man, and we can have great boldness. And you don't have to be ashamed to tell people that Jesus is the way because God loves man. God loves us. He sent Jesus because he loves us. So we don't have to walk out of here and, 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 and you know, talk to people and be afraid to offend people. We, want to, we don't want to offend people to hurt them. We want to offend people to save them because we believe and we know that the Jesus that we serve is the Savior. He is the remedy to the sin problem. And we overcome our sin and the world can overcome their sin by turning to Jesus because Jesus got up out of the grave. He defeated sin, death, and hell on our account. And all who comes to him, as you go and you preach and you share Jesus, don't let nobody put you in a corner. Don't let nobody try to intimidate you or why you try to say, yo, Jesus is the only way because he got up. Just keep saying that. He got up. Because he got up, I live and you can live. And that distinguishes him above everything and everybody else. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.